0: White, all-time favorite movie, The Crow. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell, around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The
1: movies, the music, the TV, the games, that's what I want to talk about.
0: Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and continue the conversation on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're cool enough, join the show on Patreon for exclusive bonus content. And now, Less Than 2,000 with Adam Wince and Chad Bischoff.
1: Less Than 2,000. Now part of the HyperX Podcast Network. <laughs> Suddenly. I heard a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. What the f***
0: are you talking about?
1: You heard me rapping, right? Chad, I don't remember, were you really a big fan of the movie The Crow with Brandon Lee? Were you a big fan of it at the time it
0: came out (laughs) in 94? I was going to save this for like later in the episode, but I was a really, really big fan of The Crow, the soundtrack. Mm. I, I, I think that, I am a bigger fan of the soundtrack, I think that I am of the movie, but having just watched it again, I have a lot to say about the movie too, because there's stuff that I think I appreciate today far more than I ever thought when I saw it back you know when i was a, when i was a teenager when i was an angsty teenager
1: i i always got the impression that you weren't super into it or at least not as much as i was and i have a theory about that it's because you did all the typical high school things the other junior high high school things you had girlfriends you were on swim team you, you even no no that was
0: later I was no, no 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 I was hooping it up you were I wasn't on the swim team yet I was hooping it up okay. I was balling okay yeah, were, I was going from basketball to to high school plays <laughs> you you even you even did football I think for a year didn't you yeah and I tried to hide in the back so my coach wouldn't put me in because I was terrified so
1: so yes so you were you you, you know you just didn't understand what it was like to be a true angsty teenager in the early to mid nineties, the way I was, you just didn't have that, like that tortured soul aspect that all came later in your life, but like around the time. this Oh, it absolutely came came later. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'll give you credit. I mean, you definitely went through your struggles of like as more towards later teens, early adulthood years, you get credit for plenty of angst. But at the time this movie came out, I think I was ahead of you in terms of, you know, I was already going through the the teen angst and I really, really identified with the dark edge. I was an edge lord in eighth grade, man. I was like, this is the movie that popularized, in my mind, all the stuff that we saw in the late 90s with that really dark aesthetic with the trench coats and, you know, the Matrix and, and and stuff like that. It all started here in 1994 with the Crow. Y-
0: you know what? I think you're absolutely right. I never actually put those two two things together. But, you know, you don't have the oversized trench coats. You don't have the Marilyn Mansons. Not you anymore. You don't have all all of that, like, edge goth. Goth. Without the Crow. Without the Crow. Without the Crow, you don't have goth. Goth yes. made the <laughs> Crow... Uh, made goth
1: crow made Amazing. the go- the the crow made made the goth who made the goth <laughs> the, the crow made the goth I mean they could just let's just co- coin that right now and it really did't take know? on until like two three years later is when it really really started taking off or at least in the Midwest but it all for me started with the crow and to your point the soundtrack is what was my entry point to this because before the movie even came out, it was like Nine Inch Nails is on it, Rage Against the Machine is on it, Henry Rollins is on it, The Cure is on it, Helmet, my I life. Mean, Pantera, Stone Temple Pilots, Nine
0: Inch Nails, Violent Femmes. I mean, this literally had so many
1: great, great songs. Yes, and and so, and then and then we all learned about Brandon Lee's death, and that I I learned about that from Tabitha Soren on MTV news, Kurt Loder. And I remember seeing his interviews of him smoking cigarettes. He looked very much like Johnny Depp at the time. And it was like, this whole movie is like shrouded in mystery. And this was right when downward spiral came out. And it was right when nine inch nails was really starting to take off our favorite band that no one had heard of suddenly had been heard of. And then they did the mm-hmm. dead souls, a cover of a joy division song. <laughs> and and the singer from Joy Division famously killed himself because he was such an angsty person. So all that really throws a lot of light on the the lyrics. Calling me, calling me. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Oh, this. Man. This. This had such an awesome aesthetic, and and just like Woodstock '94, I can remember where I was at when I was getting into this stuff, first hearing these songs, first first watching this movie, and I effing loved it back then, and I still love it today.
0: You know, it's interesting. It's, It's not just The Crow. It's like, I mean, we already by this point had Nirvana. Oh, yes. You know, we already had the angsty, you know, music that was fueling, you know, was fueling me, you know, you already had Pearl Jam. We already, we already had some really great artists that were kind of fueling this energy. And then you take, it was the right time for this comic book. I mean, it was the right time for this, you know, sort of bizarre, superhero, mystical, magical sort of, uh, 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 creature, you know, who's literally brought back to life by a crow to avenge, the very violent rape and murder of his girlfriend fia- you know fiance yes. and 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 his own death and his own murder at the same point and so it's the it was like the right time for the to combine the music the look the goth the trench coats the rain the the very high contrast you know look and feel of this film it was the right time for it and it's it's sad that paramount just com- i think it was paramount just completely ditched the movie after brandon lee's death yes and it it almost didn't come out yes and then miramax buys the rights says forget that and i looked it up because i thought there was a lot more filming left to do it was it was there was only a week there was like 3 to 5 days of filming left yeah they involved. had it
1: mostly done right
0: and, yeah and so miramax you know brought it back and without them, this this movie would be buried. Pumped another eight million soundtrack.
1: into it, and, and yeah, <laughs> and and you know, and Paramount, I'm sure, was happy to take the check because they weren't going to do anything with it. Somebody comes along and takes yep. it off their hands, but Miramax saved the day and. Launched a franchise out of it. Now, we're not going to get into The Crow 2 City of Angels or any of the terrible sequels and no. spin-offs to this. The Canadian nope. television show or the video games. None <laughs> of that counts. The original The Crow is what we're talking about here. Devil's Night. It's set on Devil's Night, the night before Halloween. Oh, by the way, this is part of our spooktacular. And and now we are going darker now since we started with... You know, Tim Burton's Batman 1985 had a lot of fun and comedy. Then we moved on to the horrible, in my opinion, nothing but trouble. (laughs) Now we're getting darker and darker by going into the third week of October with The Crow. And 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 boy
0: did it get darker. I mean let's let's I mean I'm sitting here watching this thing. I mean you you're talking about rape revenge and very violent murder. Just dark. Yes. Violent murders and just the revenge isn't like I'm going to kill you. The revenge is like I'm going to torture you a little bit yeah. and then finish you off. Yes. I mean this is like Mortal Kombat style. <laughs> it's like finish you it. heard him And then you finish him.
1: And so so Devil's Night was the night before Halloween. It was a real thing in Detroit. And people really did arson and murder and robbery on Devil's Night. And in fact, in 1994, it was so bad that the following year, they started creating something called Angel's Night. And people started taking to the streets to like, stop this crap. Stop this madness. And so now, like, Finally, it's over. But this was based on a real thing, Devil's Night. Wow. So, it, it, w- th- th- there we go. Um. Uh. While I'm while I'm just thinking of it, one of my little one of my little things about this movie, the bird in the movie is not a crow. Okay, the bird in the movie is a raven. Is a completely different animal. <laughs> yes, they're probably in the same family, but. It's a raven, not a crow. And that raven was a big star in Hollywood and had many, many credits to its name. Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on Mm -hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect. For the vines going up. Yes. Like it's, what, what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use? <laughs>
0: Can you guys just do that simultaneously again?
1: <laughs> Thanks. Chat of the Wild. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. Introducing the new HyperX Cloud Stinger 2. The Stinger 2 is a refined evolution of the classic Cloud Stinger and keeps the fan-favorite 90-degree rotating earcups, comfortable memory foam cushions, and the swivel-to-mute microphone. It also features two years of DTS Headphone X activation for upgraded sound localization, all while keeping the great price of the original Stinger. That's right, get the new Cloud Stinger 2 for only 50 bucks. Now isn't that nice? Available online at Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, and of course, HyperX.com.
0: Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long. It's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network.
1: (laughs) this movie was known as cursed from the beginning. It had all sorts of problems. We'll get into some of that, but it was a cursed movie. They had so many sets where a set was destroyed by a hurricane. Let's just start by that. They had an entire <laughs> exterior set destroyed by a hurricane. Cause this was shot in North Carolina, not Detroit and a hurricane wiped everything out. And all these other things happened. Somebody got electrocuted. I said, I was going to talk about it later, but let's just set it up. I guess <laughs> no, but by, by saying, it, yeah. you know, people got electrocuted a car, like burst through the set and run about ran a bunch of people over. The prop guy got pissed, so he destroyed all the props. Like this is this is some crazy stuff. And they let the armorer go. I mean this is this is crazy. This is like the Alec Baldwin. I don't understand thing. how they would do
0: that. that. That that's what makes me so mad. If you look at any of the made uh, most of the major fatalities in on film because it is the film is so highly regulated. We have so many protocols on protocols to keep stuff like this from happening. And and yes, that was still an accident. And that accident can happen. And now that people know that, they should take more precautions to not have those things happen. But to let the armorer go earlier in the day. Yeah. When you know, because I, I, I couldn't remember which scene it was. I thought it was one of the big shootout scenes or something like that. It was one of the flashbacks. No. It was the flashback. It was when his arms were in the air and they basically shoot him at Point Blank. Yep, that's why he died. And they the literally—he was—they were like eight
1: feet from him and fired straight into his stomach. Yeah, dude, it's so sad. And it was Mass—the last last, guy, last name of the guy is Massey, the guy who played Funboy, who who mm-hmm. killed him on accident, of course, but was so traumatized by it he didn't act for over a year. And and just imagine putting that on somebody. You're shooting these these scenes with guns, and you don't have the person whose job it is to to make sure that everything's double okay, check to double check. Yeah, this is insane, and it is so tragic because Brandon Lee was perfect, pitch perfect in this movie. His his look, his voice. His mannerisms, this was the role that he was meant to play. And this would have launched him into superstardom. Mm -hmm.
0: In this movie, this is about a man who is literally murdered. Yeah. And literally is murdered in real life in the scene that depicts him getting murdered.
1: Yeah. Oh man, I didn't think about that.
0: And then comes back to get revenge. Yeah. The whole premise of the movie is essentially what... Brandon Lee wishes after being killed would want to do. Maybe not go after the actor that shot him, but you get the idea of what I'm saying. Yes. It's, it's, he's already not there and he's already not there in the beginning of the movie as the character, because he comes back to life and that's the mystique. That's what makes this movie so much more, interesting from an overall you know uh like not just a viewing of the movie but as a piece of art as a thing that lives in this world right that's what makes it so much
1: more interesting absolutely absolutely you know and and rochelle davis was the actress that played sarah the little girl and Mm -hmm. she was so traumatized by this she loved brandon lee they were, they were great friends. I only knew each other for a few months, but they were became great friends. And she was so traumatized by it that she basically never acted again. Her next crez- credit wasn't until 2009. And she's done what? like two or three other things in her entire life because she was so screwed up over this. And you know what's the most screwed up part of this? The scene where Sarah goes to his apartment and meets him And it's like, I knew you didn't, I I didn't, you know, I, I thought you cared. And it's like leaving. And and he's like, I do care. And they share a hug. That scene was shot after he died. Correct.
0: That wasn't really him.
1: That was his body double. And he's Mm -hmm. all in the shadows anyway. But can you imagine how hard it was for her as an actress, as a 12 year old girl who lost her friend to have to come back and shoot that scene? Like those tears had to be real, man.
0: Oh, 100%. And to think, I mean, there was a huge gap in time, I think, before Miramax picked it up, and then they would have gone in to reshoot and finish the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, they had to re-put all of these things together. And essentially, she, this young girl, has to basically face the the uh, an image of what she lost. Like a ghost
1: of a ghost. Like a ghost. It's insane how
0: how... I, I I don't know most of the shots that they that Miramax did. I don't know when they reshot. I don't, you know, I don't know most of those. The the funny thing is the minute he dropped down in the shadow and you and she says, you know, you weren't there for me whatever she says and they cut the minute they cut back to the shadow of Brandon Lee, yeah. I immediately know that that wasn't him. Right. It was the only movie the only shot in the movie where I knew. I was like I had an instinct like that. That was the ghost
1: of Brandon
0: Lee, man,
1: that had to be so hard to get through for everybody involved in that. Yeah. I can't imagine what it would take. I mean, she didn't, she didn't act for another, you know, 15 years. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And she was so good in this movie for her age and, and, and how much of the, the plot she had to carry how much kind of the exposition she had mm-hmm. to carry. She is the voiceover of the movie. And and I felt like she did a really good job. Rochelle Davis, uh, hats off to you for getting through that and for doing such a great performance. And they 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 originally made a mask. Did you hear about this? They made a mask that looked like Brandon Lee that the stunt double was wearing, but it freaked everybody out. Like people, they were like they just couldn't do it. They're like, I won't do it. No, they're like, this yeah. is too off. This this is in very poor taste. I can't do it. So what they did instead was do computer generated. They 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 digitized his his face over that, and I don't know exactly what shots those were, but think about this. I mean, Jurassic Park came out in '93, and that was like, you know, Terminator Two was '91. Huge. This was all like. Very, very, very first-generation effects. And so they went with the digital face instead, and that was probably a much better choice and allowed them to get through the pickup shots that they needed.
0: Well, what's so crazy about this is, because I want to go back to... Because this ties into it. The lighting and the camera work and the editing is actually what stands out to me more than anything in this film. It's excellent, isn't it? It is, I mean... The way they would even rotate light on the villains or on Brandon Lee, yeah, like in shot, it was almost like, you know, light is light is so crazy to me. And I've watched videos where they just spin a light around a person, and it's amazing how they go a person not changing anything of their face literally can go from happy to scary to sad, devil angel. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and they were like spinning lights on Brandon Lee. And on some of the villains during this movie and rotating things around and creating the most interesting, high contrast shots that I've almost ever seen in my life. And I didn't remember or appreciate that as a kid. It was just like, Man, this thing's dark. What's going it's on? I excellent can't see it. cinematography. But it is amazing. I mean, to perfection cinematography. Think about had they not shot. The ninety-five percent of the movie that way, right? And then you had to replace Brandon Lee for three days. Oh, no kidding! Like, imagine if this was like the bright film where every detail is just seen. Yeah, you know, when he drops in on that scene that they shot, and he's shadowed out, and he has those couple words, you know, that's that's easier. They could get away easy with to it. make up. Yeah, you can get away with yeah. that. Yeah, and so it's almost like every aspect of this horribly dysfunctional film from a production standpoint all played into what ended up being the final piece of art that we get
1: to witness today. Well said. And, and, and they wanted to make it a black and white movie. Originally that was the concept. The The comic book writer, the, the director, the original people wanted to make this black and white and do the flashbacks in color. The studio put the kibosh on that. Uh, we can't do that. Even though Clerks had, had done that in '93 while they were shooting this movie, different story. Different, different story. Different story. Different,
0: also, you're talking millions of dollars with Brandon Lee, and a comic book movie that had a following. Yeah. And Clerks shot for, you know, twenty five thousand right. dollars or whatever it was, fifty thousand right. dollars on black and white short ends in 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 a gas station it, convenient it, or in a convenient mart. But they
1: but they they pulled that effect off. So well with the washed out colors, it's really one of the first movies I can remember that has that uniform look all the way through it. I don't know if that was all something that they did locally when they were shooting it or if it was some sort of post effect filter that they put on it. Um, I mean, you saw that you saw that years later in Lord of the Rings. You saw that uh, uh, in David Fincher's seven that came out a year or two after this. But this was like such a stylized. Uh, it, it had that comic book feel without being black and white. It almost felt like it was.
0: You know what's interesting is since we just did Batman from '89, it was kind of you know, like Batman that. had a pretty, it had a uniform look too. Yeah. So I, I. But what what I think the I think the Crow did is it took the things that it liked from comic books. It took the things. From Batman, it took the things from some of the cinema and the mood and the feel of what was going on with music and culture in in America, and put all of that together, and then just pushed the envelope. They just went a little further with right. it. right, and 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 that's, I mean, that's what's great. I mean, I mean, the Matrix. I mean, think about everything the Matrix inspired for a decade after the Matrix. I mean, the Crow, though not nearly as big commercially as the Matrix uh, or Batman. It it took a lot. It took a lot of cues from good from good cinema and then pushed it. And I think that's what paved the way for for even better entertainment
1: moving forward in the 90s.
0: You know, before everything went to hell in the year 2000.
1: Exa- exactly. I thought for years this movie was a low budget movie. It wasn't a low budget movie. It had a budget of no. 23 million. Now originally it probably would have been more like 15 and then Miramax <laughs> had to throw an extra 8 at it to make it work. After brand, I thought I had
0: read that the the original plan budget was actually only twelve.
1: I think they put a lot more into it to finish it and market (laughs) it and get it out. (laughs) Yeah. So, but but I mean, that's that's we have to adjust for inflation and everything. It's 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 not a huge budget. It's not a big budget movie, but it's not tiny either. And I think a lot of it looks kind of cheap. I will say this. The The effects look really bad. The falling off the rooftop effects look really bad. Some of the... Like, the bullet hole in his hand healing up looks really, really cheesy. But it doesn't matter at all. This movie overcomes its budgetary and technical issues because the music is so good, because the aesthetic is so quality. The mood that this movie sets transcends any sort of budgetary issue and makes it a, an amazing movie from the 90s that really outperformed what I think it was originally, originally meant to be or could be. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I kind of I disagree with you. Like I, other than a couple of shots, I didn't feel like there was much that was that cheesy when it came to the effects. Now, I, I, feel, I felt like they did a good job of hiding it through, through light and shadow. And, and yes, I mean, the effects weren't great. They weren't anywhere near what today would be. But even when you watch Terminator 2 now, a movie we absolutely love, sometimes you can really see the fakeness in the T-1000 healing up. Yeah. Things that you would never see today, but you still look past it. You know what I mean? So like the effects were a little grittier than, than say something like in a Jurassic Park or something like that but it didn't take you out of it. It didn't
1: take you out of it, you it. And it ultimately doesn't matter. I guess my point is, cause it was so cursed and that they lost all of their props that they lost their entire exterior set. They had an exterior <laughs> set and then it all went indoors. Like that's why you only see that one road, you know, you really only see the one road, which happens <laughs> in a lot of movies, yeah. but it's very obvious in this one. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, it is, that that is much more
0: obvious in this
1: one. It, the it, world but looks doesn't, like it shrank. It doesn't matter. It works. No. It still works as a phenomenal movie that it almost, the, the, the technical uh, limitations almost makes it charming in a way. It doesn't take me out of the movie. It's Agreed. like that's part of the charm of the movie. How about, how about Winston? How about Ernie Hudson? I was going to say Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Great.
0: Knocked it out of he's the park. Amazing I loved this. it. He knocked it. Yeah, <laughs> you see this, and and he's epic in it. He's so good in this. The world needs more Ernie Hudson.
1: The world does need. That's what I'm walking away from. <laughs> the world needs more Ernie Hudson. We we talked about last week with nothing but trouble that there was nothing that grounded the movie. Mm-hmm. Ernie Hudson grounds this movie. Yeah, he is your your everyman. He's your 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 beat cop who's got a good heart. You almost get the sense that his marriage failed over the, his obsession with this case, that his career Mm -hmm. stalled because of his obsession with this case. And now he's no longer a detective, but he's a beat cop who gets on all the time by the detective. Um, Mm -hmm. because he, but I liked that. I loved it. And and he's just a guy eating a hot dog. And he was nice to the, the little girl, you know, he's just, He's he's such a great character and he pulls it off so well and he chain smokes the whole movie. He is chain smoking and he looks so cool. Chad, I wish cigarettes were healthy for you because Ernie Hudson looks so cool. Both as oh my Winston God, and as this cop.
0: I can't smoking. believe you're saying this right now because I had that same thought. I don't smoke and I'm sitting there going like, man i wish i could smoke right now like he just like as he's sitting there shot you know and it's just like uh, he's just pulling his cigarette out lighting (laughs) up and you're just like man too bad they're not healthy (laughs)